Good afternoon, Memorial Baptist friends and family, and welcome back to our midweek edition of our podcast for September 30th, 2020. I hope you're having a great week. You know, we had a wonderful time together this past Sunday. We started off uh, the day singing hymns and listening to Brother John Webb as he taught our senior adult Bible study uh, on the Holy Spirit. And what a great time and experience with our senior adults. Then we had an amazing worship time together in our corporate worship, uh, followed by movement of God in our preaching time. God is an awesome God and does marvelous work when we get out of the way and let Him do His work. My, oh my, we had a good number of college students present as they met for Sunday school prior to our worship service. I believe that Brother Braden said there were about 40 students in the NBC college class Sunday morning. It was so wonderful to see all these eager college students coming to study God's Word at Memorial. We continue to plan and seek to reopen all of our ministries on a timely basis. We're hoping to add children's activities on Wednesday evening in the near future, as well as youth and children's uh, Sunday school. Things are lining up for a strong finish for what has been a very weird and crazy year. You know, most of us are probably more than ready to cruise on out of 2020, as it's been so ridiculous with a surplus of formidable challenges. And although I am more than ready to put 2020 in the rearview mirror, I am tremendously hopeful that our learning opportunities have prepared and shaped us uh, for this new season. Uh, For me personally, these challenges give me a renewed dependence on the one who has saved me and the only one who can sustain me, and that is Jesus Christ. Our leadership at Memorial is entering into the budgeting process uh, for 2021, so I would covet your prayers for God's guidance, wisdom, as well as unity as we move forward. I truly believe that some of the best days and most fertile in the kingdom with respect to the harvest for Memorial Baptist Church lay right out in front of us. We are a part of and continuing to build a great church right here in Temple, Texas. We need everyone to get on board, grab hold of the rope, and all pull in the same direction. We've been in a hunker-down mode most of this year, but I believe that it's time for us to take our foot off the brake and gently ease it over and hit the accelerator. Now is not the time to shrink back, but the time to move forward beyond where we are and into the great promises of our God. See, if our Lord tarries in His glorious return, understand that we are building a church for future generations that follow us. You know, Psalm 121, excuse me, 127, 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Brothers and sisters, we need our Lord back in our nation. We need our Lord back in our homes. We need our Lord back in our lives. So pray for our nation. Pray for our churches, our schools, our homes. Pray for men and women and sons and daughters to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And may He be glorified in everything that we 
say, think, and do. Let's pray now. Uh, Pray together as we get ready to study God's Word. Almighty and everlasting Father, You are so very good to us, better than we deserve. And Your majesty is all around us. Your sovereignty is unmatched. You control the time, the seasons, the circumstances, the very moments of every single day. Your blessings and provisions fill our lives. We humbly bow beneath your feet and under your sheltering wings. We ask, Father, that you would forgive us of our sins. Forgive us when we have rebelled. Forgive us when we have not taken care of the orphan and the widow. Forgive us when we've judged others, elevating ourselves so inappropriately over our equal brothers and sisters. Father, I ask that you would preserve our great nation, that you would bring about peace and unity, that you would unify the hearts of the believers, the bride of your son, Jesus, that we might be peacemakers in a turbulent and chaotic time. Father, I ask that you would push back the darkness, shine your light so that those groping in darkness may find their way to you. Fill us with hope, for we know in whom we have believed and are persuaded that you are more than able to keep our commitment until that day. I lift up the membership of Memorial Baptist Church up to you, Lord. I ask that you would encourage the hearts of your people, that you would do a great work in and through their lives and through our church. Lord Jesus, thank you for laying down your precious life for your bride. What a great example you are for each of us. Thank you, Father, for the fellowship that we enjoy with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And thank you for being with us through your Holy Spirit as we worship you. I lift our homebound members to you, Lord Jesus. I ask that you would be present with each of them in a very special way. May they feel your love and presence as they walk through the challenges of each day. We so long for the day when we will be in your presence forever. Lord Jesus, give each of us a full knowledge of your will for us, that we may accomplish the things that you created us for and put us on this earth to do. We love you, Father. We adore you, Lord Jesus. We invite you to fill us, Holy Spirit, for your work through us in order to glorify the Father. To Him be glory and honor. Strength to our God and to His people, now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. I just love this passage. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to talk about three uh, men of faith from the Old Testament. And um, I just want to go ahead and, and read uh, these three or four verses, and then we'll talk about them. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 
and following. It says, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. He deals with every generation with his people. See, faith is the key to this chapter. Faith has been defined in the chapter 11, verse 1, as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith believes God, and faith opens up a whole new dimension to life not known to any of the physical senses. See, faith in God is the key to experiencing the infinite blessings of the spiritual kingdom. Faith knows God exists, and that faith, He stepped over the boundary of human history and revealed Himself in creation and the Bible. All the deepest questions of life are answered in the spiritual kingdom as one lays hold of God through faith. See, remember that these Hebrew Christians whom the writer is writing to were suffering severe social persecution. They were beginning to waver in their stand for for Jesus Christ and to compromise the truth. They were also slackening up on their witness for Christ. See, this chapter is about persevering faith and stresses the fact that faith enables humanity to, to live. This chapter is written to prove that in any age, under any circumstances, the person of faith can live And we are not told in this chapter how to get faith, but how to live by faith. Usually when we talk about the life of faith today, sometimes people think of it in terms of money. We say a person lives by faith because they've been, because he's been blessed with money or or the life of faith. But understand that the life of faith is a lot more than trusting the Lord for money, although it may include that. It is trusting the Lord for everything in life. Let me make that very clear. Faith is trusting the Lord for everything in life. It is trusting God in every circumstance. So as we look at these three men, I just want to talk a little bit about the the correctness of faith, if you will, according to verse 4. It says, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. This verse tells us about the the world's firstborn brothers, Abel and Cain. Actually, Cain was the firstborn. 
who were sons of Adam and Eve. And they lived in a time when the world was young, when most everything was different from the way we know it today. I mean, they lived before income tax. (laughs) They lived before pollution or jet travel, politics, and all of the other busyness of our lives. The firstborn, Cain, started with very favorable beginnings. I mean, he was a child of hope, being their firstborn. He received his (laughs) ag degree from Eden University. Well, (laughs) just outside of it. So agriculture was his thing. Their second-born, Abel, was, well, he went into animal husbandry. These brothers had the simple life, but they both still had a need for God. And the simple life will never take away our spiritual need for God. No matter how good life might be, it is never good enough without God. See, we assume from the account in Genesis that these boys were were taught by Adam and Eve the type of sacrifice that would be acceptable to God. And God is only pleased with a blood sacrifice, for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so Abel obeyed God and his parents' teaching and brought about an animal sacrifice. But Cain offered the Lord the fruit of the ground. So here we have an important contrast of two ways of faith, man's way versus God's way. So what was wrong with Cain's sacrifice? He and his brother both came to the same altar, both came to the living God, both came at the right time, and both came to sacrifice. What was wrong with Cain's sacrifice? That's the age-old question. He was certainly religious and sincere, but the point is he didn't sacrifice God's way. Cain, in his natural and rational mind, reasoned that one way was probably just as good as another. But folks, listen, this wasn't a cattle versus corn problem. Both were required later in Levitical law for sacrificing. I mean, throughout Scripture, it isn't so much what you give as much as how you give it. In other words, an attitude of your heart. It doesn't say that God loves the giver, but that He loves the cheerful giver, the way we give from our heart, the heart that we give from. So there's only one way that is acceptable to God, and that is His way. We can only approach God through the shedding of blood. There's only one way of salvation. And that is through the blood of Jesus Christ alone. And this is appropriated through faith in Him, in Christ, and His work for sin. The scripture says that through which He obtained the testimony that He was righteous, God testifying of His gifts. The correctness of faith does things God's way, not man's way. We need to understand that. We need to wrap our mind around that. Faith does things God's way, not man's way. And Abel was not made righteous, nor was he justified by his works. He was justified by faith, and by his sacrifice, he showed his faith by his works. And it goes on and says, And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Abel believed God, and he came to God the exact way God outlined. 
Abel's faith still speaks to us today of the absolute necessity of doing things God's way. See, we can learn the same truth that Abel learned, and this will make a tremendous difference in our life. So the record of Abel then teaches us that real faith approaches God in a correct manner as it is revealed in the Bible. Let's talk about this second man of faith here, Enoch, in the walk of faith. Scripture says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. He was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before he was taken up, he was pleasing to God. This event in, I want to say, ancient history, recorded in Genesis 5, tells us twice that Enoch walked with God. The record tells us that for 65 years, this man lived like anyone else in his day, no different from the rest of those people in his age. But at the age of 65, something marvelous happened to this man. He began to walk with God. He began for the first time to enjoy the continuous presence of an unseen person. And he related his life daily to that person who was with him. He found a fellowship that death could not interrupt. And according to the record, Enoch never died, but he was taken bodily to heaven in rapture. Enoch had a witness or testimony before God because of his deep abiding walk with God. Enoch's walk made, excuse me, Enoch's walk with God made a tremendous impact on his culture. He pleased God, and he did it with his walk with God. Enoch was not known for his activity or service, but for his fellowship with God. So how did he walk with God? By faith. In his daily, common, regular duties, Enoch trusted God. He loved, he adored, he intimately knew the one true and living God. See, real faith walks with God, and the result is a spirit-directed activity that makes an impact on the culture around us. So close was Enoch's walk with God that one day God did a startling thing. He took Enoch to heaven without death. The Old Testament says Enoch was not. The writer of Hebrews says he was not found. One day Enoch just disappeared and was not. It seems that God enjoyed fellowshipping so much with Enoch that God wanted him for himself. Enoch did nothing spectacular except he walked with God. He just walked with God. But you know what? This is the most spectacular thing anyone can possibly do. A little girl in Sunday school, she, uh, she was told the story of Enoch and then she recounted it her way. And she said, you know, Enoch was a, a man who learned to walk with God and they used to take long walks together. And one day they walked so far that God said, look, Enoch, it's too far for you to go back. Just come on home with me. And so Enoch walked on home with God. 
You know, verse 6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Apart from God, apart from faith in God, it is impossible to please Him in any way. I mean, God's not impressed with our education, our, our finances, our status, but He's looking for our faith in Him. Faith believes in God and puts the commands of God to work. See, faith is the key that unlocks the mysteries of the spiritual kingdom. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is. See, faith acknowledges that God is real and does exist. Faith believes that the God of heaven and earth is in control of history and working out His plan in time. Faith is to believe in the character of God, that He has revealed Himself in His works, in His Word, and through Jesus Christ. See, faith is to believe that God is sovereign, that He's holy, that He's almighty, that He's just, that He's merciful, that wrath and loving are part of Him, and that He rules and reigns in accordance with all these characteristics. God does exist, and He's revealed Himself in many ways. Yes, through His Son. Yes, through Holy Scripture. But folks, He's also revealed Himself through nature itself. I mean, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. You know, often I see pictures posted on Facebook of great sunrises or sunsets that that people have taken out their back door or front door or or out in their yard somewhere or driving, and, and, you know, it just shows God's handiwork. What an amazing God. We know He did that. And he did that for us. Elizabeth Barrett Browning, she puts it well. She said this, she said, Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush aflame with God. But only those who see take off their shoes. And the rest sit around and pluck blackberries. (laughs) I love that. Only those who see take off their shoes because they're on holy ground. That verse goes on and it says in verse 6, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. God rewards those who seek Him with wonderful spiritual blessings and the single most important reward is God Himself. God becomes the intimate companion of all who seek Him and walk by faith. Let me share a little interesting thing here about Enoch. Enoch lived 65 years, and then he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God for 300 years. That's found in Genesis 5, 21 and 22. Notice it was after the birth of Methuselah that Enoch began to walk with God and he walked with God continually for 300 years. I would submit to you today that Enoch's life was transformed by that baby. (laughs) What was it about this baby that brought Enoch 
to the place where he began to walk with God. Folks, Enoch realized his parental responsibility. As Enoch held his little son in his arms, he realized the responsibility that he had as a father and that he needed a godly example and a good influence. He realized that one day this little boy would go to heaven or hell and the way that he lived his life would largely determine where his son would go. Folks, how we live our life before our children has a great impact on our children. Notice that Enoch named his son Methuselah. You know what Methuselah means? It means when he is dead, it shall be sent or it shall come to pass. What was going to happen? When he died, what was going to happen when Methuselah died? The message in the name of Enoch's boy was concerning the flood. The flood. The great flood. See, when Methuselah died, the flood of God's judgment would come. His name means when he is dead, it shall be sent or it shall come to pass. So so let's do just a little bit of math here. I know math isn't for everybody, but let's just do it. In Genesis 5.25, it says, Methuselah lived 187 years and became the father of Lamech. Lamech. Now, three verses later in in Genesis 5.28 and 29, it says, Lamech lived 182 years and begat Noah. So now if you add 187 years... Methuselah lived, and then he had Lamech. Lamech lived 182 years and had Noah. You add those two together and you get 369 years. Methuselah was 369 years old when Noah was born. Genesis 7 Verse 11 says that Noah was 600 years old when the flood began. Now, if you add 369 and 600, you get 969 years. That's how old Methuselah lived. Genesis 5.27, it says the flood came when Methuselah died. See, I believe it began to rain the very moment Methuselah drew his last breath. It's interesting that the oldest man who ever lived was Methuselah. Coincidence? Absolutely not. Every day Methuselah lived was another opportunity for humanity to get right with God. God was merciful and long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. See, Enoch received in his son a message from God. Judgment was coming. And I believe that each time that boy had a fever, or maybe he got sick or had a pain, Enoch thought that maybe this was the time that God was bringing his judgment. When he dies, 
it shall be sent or it shall come to pass. Folks, God has told us what to look for before His Son returns for His own. We're getting close to our Lord Jesus' return. Jesus is coming soon. And that's why, by faith, we should walk with God. When He comes, we will be face to face with Him. Let's look at this third person, Noah, and the work of faith here in verse 7. It says, By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. See, Noah believed that God was in control of human history. Noah had never seen God, but he knew God was real and he was willing to obey God's command to build an ark at all costs to his own pride. God gave Noah what seems, from a human perspective, a very foolish command. However, before we look at the foolish command, we must understand that Noah's world was very wicked. That world willingly disregarded God and refused to worship Him. Not unlike today. Genesis chapter 6 verse 11 says, Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. The pre-flood world was filled with corruption and violence, so, so God made a decision to destroy the world because of its sinfulness. Genesis 6, 7 says, And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. See, with this revelation of impending judgment, God gave Noah a command to build an ark. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Because God was planning to destroy humanity, He told Noah to build the ark because there was a great flood coming. If Noah would build the ark according to the detailed specifications given by God, Noah and his family would escape the judgment. So so what's so foolish about this command? I mean, first, there was probably no rain on the earth before the flood because the earth was watered by a mist that came up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Secondly, the world had probably never seen a flood. God made a revelation and gave a command. And Noah had to make a decision. Should he accept God's word despite its apparent foolishness? Or should he do... Should he do what his rational, intellectual abilities would suggest and disregard such a revelation as ridiculous? Understand, Noah believed God and obeyed the command and built the ark. It says, Thus Noah did, according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. 
That's why it says in this passage, with reverence, with respect and awe of the one true God, Noah worked out his faith by building the ark. This verse also says, by which he condemned the world. Noah's faith resulted in action and the building of the ark was an object lesson to the world that everyone was condemned because of their unbelief and headed for judgment. It took Noah 120 years to build the ark. And all that time, no one responded to God. Noah worked and preached without success, and his ministry only condemned the world more. The people of Noah's day prided themselves on their humanism and their rejection of the supernatural. The the people of Noah's day laughed at him and regarded him as a fool, just as the people of our day regard those who accept God's word as foolishness. Probably most every day, some rank rejecter, some skeptic, some pessimist from the local university or the school of pre-flood scientists would would ask him, hey Noah, what are you doing? I'm building an ark. Well, I can see that. Why are you building an ark? Such a big boat out here. There isn't even enough water in the world to float that thing. I'm building it because God told me to, for a great flood is coming to destroy the, the world. What? You believe in God? Why that passed off the scene with those superstitious people like, you know, Adam and Eve and Enoch, Abel. Nobody believes in the real God anymore. Man, you mean to tell me God told you to build this monstrosity? Absolutely. God's going to judge the world with a flood. And unless you change your mind about the way you're living and confess your sin and seek God, you're going to die in this judgment. Noah, you're nuts. You superstitious old geezer. There's no hope for you. Well, get after building that stupid ark. We'll see what happens. I mean, Noah was built, willing to be foolish for God in his generation. And the people rejected him. But he was faithful to God. Noah, however, had the last laugh for the flood came as God said it would. And Noah and his family were saved because through faith, through the things that were unseen, they believed in God. See, even men in the secular world, and I'm wrapping this up, even the men in the secular world would have thought foolish. They would have been thought that they were foolish for the things that they believed. I mean, this is true of someone like Benjamin Franklin, who in the course of his lifetime was a master printer and journalist and ingenious inventor, the founder of the first library uh, in the U.S. and one of the, the framers of the Constitution of the United States. One day this brilliant man decided to fly a kite in a thunderstorm, no less. Now wasn't that foolish? A grown man and a responsible leader taking his son and going out to fly a kite in a thunderstorm. You know, Franklin's neighbors peering out their windows must have said to themselves, what's wrong with that Ben Franklin? Doesn't he know that his boy's going to catch pneumonia in weather like this? Look at him, one of Philadelphia's leading men, and he doesn't have enough sense to come in out of the rain. Actually, this wasn't a foolish waste of time. It had a purpose behind it. On the end of the string, 
which was attached to the kite, there was a key. And when the sky was filled with lightning, sparks came from the key. For the first time in history, man proved that lightning was electricity in the air. In reality, this is one of the most important scientific experiments of all time. But to somebody just passing by, to someone who did not know what was going on, it looked like a foolish waste of time. See, many times, facts look foolish to those who don't understand them, even though they should. You know, when the Royal Society of London, the leading scientific body of that day, heard of Franklin's experiment with electricity, they laughed. They thought he was a kook. But with the passing of time, their laughter turned into admiration, and they gave him a gold medal in recognition of his work. See, scientists laughed at Franklin because they had not yet discovered the truth of electricity for themselves, and the people of the world will laugh and mock at the Christian when they have not yet discovered the truth and the secret of faith in the one true and living God for themselves. Scripture tells us, and Noah became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By his obedience to God, Noah proved that he was an heir of righteousness by faith. Noah had an enduring faith. His faith persevered. It was a working faith. You know, Benjamin Franklin looked foolish when he flew a kite in that thunderstorm. But he wasn't foolish. In reality, he was one of the wisest men of his day. You know, often truth, when not understood, looks foolish. This is especially true in the spiritual realm. Noah looked foolish in his day, but he wasn't foolish. He was right. See, God is always right. And we must must remember that God's ways are not our ways. God declares in the Bible that another judgment is coming to all people. And that is the judgment of eternal destruction of the soul. So how can a person escape this judgment? We must believe God and receive His Son, Jesus Christ. It may seem foolish that people will perish in their sins without Christ, but God says, this is so, and it will happen. The Bible also says that today is the day of salvation. Don't miss out. Trust Christ. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross for your sins. It is by faith. It is by grace, God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved. I just want to thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to continue our study next week going on in this passage in Hebrews 11. And so until then, I I hope that you stay safe and enjoy God's creation. 
Our God is an awesome God and truly worthy of our praise. I hope to see each one of you soon. This is Ridge Adams from Memorial Baptist Church, Temple, Texas. And I just say, may God bless you as you continue to seek His face.